You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, everybody, and welcome into another episode of Locked On Aggies, and also congratulations to all you Bama fans. Welcome into an episode of Locked On Bama presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M and what's it like to go behind enemy lines against a top five opponent. We're going to find a little bit about that today as we join Luke Robinson from Locked on Bama to discuss everything we're going to see this upcoming Saturday when the Aggies travel to College Station, my bad, to Bryant-Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa, Alabama to take on the likes of Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide. This episode of Locked on Aggies is brought to you by Built Bar, where a candy bar meets a protein bar. Go visit BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON to save $10 off your next purchase. That promo code is locked on at BuiltBar.com. So again, Texas A&M is coming in 1-0 after defeating Vanderbilt in 17-12. Not the biggest game that you want to see, but they are going to face off against a top five opponent to see if they truly are legit this upcoming season. And we want to talk a little bit more about that. So ladies and gentlemen, he covers Alabama for the locked on podcast network. Give it up for my man, Mr. Luke Robinson from locked on Bama. Luke, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. And thanks for being on locked on Bama at the same time. I know. Hey, listen, I am a Bama (laughs) alum. I am a huge fan of the SEC. So whenever I get to talk Bama football and talk A&M at the same time, it's something that is always enticing to me, and it's something that I always love to do. Now, Alabama had a game this weekend in Columbia, Missouri. They did get the win. 39-19, to if I'm not mistaken, was the final score. Uh, Just, Luke, it's a brand-new quarterback. It's a brand-new offense when you really think about it. No Jerry Judy. No Henry Ruggs. No Tua Tagovailoa. Also, no Judge Rolls on the offensive line. Just more importantly, let's just focus on the main subject, Mac Jones. This is a guy who is fluent with the Steve Sarkeesian system. This is a guy who is fluent with Nick Saban. What did you see from him in his very first start as the true Alabama quarterback? Well, he actually had uh, about four starts last year, so he's got some experience doing this. People just don't remember it because Tua Tungavailoa was at Alabama, and he was always the story. Even when he wasn't playing, he was the story. So people tended to forget about Mac Jones, and, and I certainly understand that. And, you know, it seemed like Mac Jones is sandwiched in a pretty bad spot, right? He's between Tua Tungavailoa, arguably the greatest Uh, inarguably, really, the greatest quarterback in Alabama history. And then uh, he's got a true freshman coming in and and Bryce Young, who is the heir apparent. He's the next guy, and he is the next Kyler Murray. That's what everybody's saying. You know, he's diminutive, he's smaller, but he's shifty, and he's stronger than you think, and he's got a big arm and accurate and fast and all these attributes, right? And Meanwhile, everybody, including me, was saying, hey, eventually Bryce Young's going to take this job from Mac Jones. Mac Jones is is just holding it down until Bryce Young is completely ready. Well, what I, you know, what I saw in his starts was Mac Jones can throw a good deep ball. Mac Jones is pretty accurate. He can take a shot, man. He took some big shots in that Missouri game. He can come back from some bad moments. He had a really bad throw in the Auburn game that led to a pick six. And then he had what uh, was a backside pick six because it actually bounced off Najee Harris's backside into the waiting arms of an Auburn linebacker and it went 100 yards for a pick six. So he had those two throws that everybody's remembering, but those are only two interceptions that he's thrown. Um, I think Mac Jones had a great game, 18 of 24, 249. 
uh, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Again, took some shots, stood in there. He reminded me of a, a mix of A.J. McCarron, Greg McElroy, but a mix of those two guys with maybe a bigger arm. Yeah, and I mean, I could see that. Last season, when you really look at his stat line, he finished with 1503 passing yards, 14 touchdowns, three interceptions. Last game, again, 249. This is what you see from Alabama. This is what you see on a constant basis from a Nick Saban offense. About 250, 300 yards passing. Tua Tagovailoa is just a name that stands out in the history books because of what he was able to do. And it also helps when you have what I call the four horsemen of the Bama apocalypse because of you had four great weapons, all of whom I think have the chance to be a wide receiver one at the next level with Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddle, and Devonta Smith. Now you're back with two of them and Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle. And Waddle stepped up big. Waddle to me was the big storyline of that game. Two incredible catches, that 48-yarder, and then, of course, the touchdown catch in the end zone. One, an acrobatic play. I mean, everyone was focusing in on Devonta Smith, I think, because if he's six foot one, he set the record for the most receiving yards in a single Bama game last year. But Waddle is the guy, to me, that was really standing out. What did you see from him, especially that the fact that he lined up multiple sl- uh, snaps in the slot he also lined up on the outside as well. You know, uh, I think uh, Jalen Waddle is the Tua Tungvaluwa of Bama wide receivers. He sort of he took a back seat just like Tua Tungvaluwa did to Jalen Hurts for so long. Um, and it, when he finally gets his shot, though, when he finally was uh, really the guy against Auburn. I mean, Henry Ruggs was a little gimped up. Uh, Jerry Judy wasn't having necessarily his best game. I think he was banged up in that game too. Um, Jalen Waddle was the man, and he and Mac Jones had great chemistry. He had four touchdowns against Auburn, including a, uh, a kickoff return for a touchdown. He had an unbelievable prompt return for a touchdown in the LSU loss last year. Um, the kid is just – he plays a lot bigger than he is and he's so dynamic and so shifty. And really, I thought his best play came on a little sort of a makeshift bubble screen in the game. It only gained about nine yards, but he broke so many ankles to get those nine yards. I mean, any other receiver practically maybe gains a yard. He is, is his belief in his own ability. And is you can call it cockiness, but it's he knows he's going to go get it. The, the catch that you're mentioning against Missouri, he went up higher than everybody catches the ball, and just to get a hand on the ball is one thing. But then he secures the ball, and you can when they show it in slow motion, you can see that he has the wherewithal to put both hands even tighter around the ball because he knows he's going to get hit from not one direction but two, and he gets helicoptered down to the ground, and then he just pops right back up. That's the beauty of being as small and as strong as he is. You know, Maybe somebody a little bit longer and lankier, uh, they may not get up so quick. Yeah, again, and I really think that when you look at what he does – The biggest thing is his catch and his hands. His hands make him so dangerous, especially on long plays. And that's what allows uh, uh, Alabama to be very successful. One thing I was very shocked at, and one thing I wanted to get your take on was, what was it like to see an offensive line without Jedrick Wills, who's come in, he's played both the right side, he's played the left side. He also is a left tackle, but he played right tackle last year because of you had a left-handed quarterback in Tagovailoa. Now you have Alex Leatherwood, who is the left tackle, and he's going to be the next big Alabama name on the offensive line to possibly become a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. What did you see from him working with Mac Jones? Uh, I thought he did a great job. I thought Evan Neal did a great job, really. Um, 
Landon Dickerson, uh, the FSU transfer, has come in and played very well. He's a super strong guy. I think the uh, offensive line looked pretty good. Uh, Emil uh, Echior has had some better games. Um, he, he he probably didn't have his best game, and I think he'd be the first to admit that. But, you know, this year is going to be so interesting. The offensive line um, is probably the one unit in football that needs time to gel. It's, you know, wide receivers, I mean, they, yeah, they like to consider themselves the fun bunch or whatever. But, you know, in the end, um, they just need to have somewhat of a chemistry and, and know what's going on with the quarterback. The offensive linemen, they have to play as one unit. I mean, if you have one offensive lineman, that's fantastic. That's great. They're just going to key on your weak links. And Alabama's actually got a, a pretty formidable offensive line. I mean, they've won the offensive line trophy. I forget what the name of it is. It hadn't been around that long. Um, I think they won the inaugural one a few years ago. And it wouldn't surprise me if they were to win it again because I, I doubt Mac Jones is going to be put to the ground a whole heck of a lot. But I was really happy with the output from the offensive line against Missouri. And, and they're going to face a much stiffer test this weekend. Though. Yeah, some people say that the most important thing for a quarterback is his weapons. That's not true. The main weapons that you need are the five up front on the offensive line. Luke Robinson from Locked on Bama on the special Locked on Aggies, Locked on Bama podcast. Hey guys, we know tailgating season is going to be a little different this year, but you got to make it all the way through the game. And so you have to stay ready to go. That's why I recommend Built Bar. Now you've heard the Built Bar promo before. They have their 12 original flavors in German chocolate cake, peanut butter, banana nut bread, salted caramel. Now there's six new flavors to bring 18 into it, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry bakia, and lemon almond cheesecake. These are more like candy bars than they are protein bars because they're covered in 100% real chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew. They're great for the health conscious guy, someone like myself, but they also help you lose or maintain weight while having a delicious treat, mainly because they're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high in fiber, and great for the keto diet. I mean, take a look at my new favorite, the peanut butter protein bar. It has 19 grams of protein, 100 gra 180 grams of calories, five grams of sugar, five grams of net carbs. You're not going to find a product like this anywhere else on the market. And with the promo code locked on at builtbar.com, you'll save $10 off your next order. Use the promo code locked on at builtbar.com to save $10 off your next purchase. It's game day every Saturday, and you got to make it to the end. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So pick yourself up with Built Bar from builtbar.com. Locked on Aggies and Locked on Bama, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson in the driver's seat alongside Luke Robinson, talking all things Texas AM and Alabama. Guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you love quality podcasts surrounding your favorite sports team every single day? If so, why not listen to a Locked On podcast? The Locked On Podcast Network has over two dozen college sports shows, plus every team covered in the NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, and highlight information to get you geared up and win your fantasy football league. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live on LockedOnPodcast.com. So we focused a little bit on Bama. They did get the win. And up until the fourth quarter, it was a very convincing win, I think, for Steve Sarkeeson. I think for the brand new style of offense, you can't really say the same about Texas A&M. And I'm going to get Luke's opinion on this when we talk about it. Luke, the one positive for A&M that they can go with moving forward is the fact that A&M was the only team in the SEC 
to have a runner go over 100 yards on the day. And that was Isaiah Spiller, 117 yards. He did not get the touchdown. That went to Anaya Smith, 54 yards on that little option play to give the Aggies a 7-3 to lead in the first quarter. I, I mean, you the game was on, but you've seen highlights of it. You've seen glimpses and pieces of it. What did you make of AM's offense, especially with them having eight returning starters? A&M and LSU may be the two teams to me that suffered from all the pandemic situation um, because of the opt-outs and um, maybe because lack of having a, a, a real fall practice. I mean, you, you had one, but it was just different. You didn't have a spring practice. I think A&M and uh, LSU both needed that. That's what I gleaned from game one. Now, I didn't think A&M would be in that spot. I, I'm going to tell you right now, and I may eat these words after this game, but I have no problem saying that I, I do a couple of sports shows here in, in Alabama. Um, I'm with the AHSA radio network, so I see a lot of quarterbacks. called the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star Game every year. Uh, I watch a ton of college football, especially Alabama and SEC. And, you know, everybody's been telling me, because I follow recruiting pretty religiously, that, uh, you know, Kellen Mond's going to get it. And so I believed in that. Kellen Mond's going to get it. Kellen Mond's going to get it. And even this year, when when everybody else was telling me, haven't you seen enough? I said, I, I'm telling you, he's the most experienced quarterback coming in this league, coming back this year. And I think he's going to get it. I think a and going to finish second in the West behind Alabama. And I think it's going to be close. Um after game one, I, I'm officially off the train of, of Kellen Mond. That doesn't mean that I don't think he can, you know, if he has a, a Johnny Menzel type performance against Alabama, I think that uh, he'll certainly make my eat, make me eat my words. But I, I just it just doesn't feel like it's gelling for him with that offense. Now, maybe it's because uh, some of the opt-outs A&M has had. I, I saw that, that they've had another one here recently. Maybe it's because they've had some injuries to some of his main targets. I, I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, Kellen Mond has not put it together in a way that I thought he would when I was uh, following him in high school. And frankly, in a way that he showed me a couple of years ago when he was in Tuscaloosa, he gave Alabama fits uh, in that game in Tuscaloosa. He had a big, long run in that game. I think he had over 100 yards, like in the first quarter or first half. Um, I really thought he was going to put it together, but that's that's probably the most disappointing thing to me uh, that I saw. I, I wasn't quite as surprised by LSU's losing to Mississippi State. In fact, I predicted it because they just had too many losses. But, you know, the, the, the mind thing just baffles me. And here's the thing, you know, when we talked about this a second ago, the most important weapon to a quarterback is the offensive line. This was an offensive line that last year really struggled, but they only allowed one sack. Now he loses his go-to weapon in Jamon Osmond as an opt-out literally eight days before the season kicks, nine days before the season kicks off. He loses Kendrick Rogers. He loses the likes of, um, of Courtney Davis as well. And when you look at the wide receivers in the group, they're all young. They're all talented, but none of them were able to gain more than 49 yards on the day with the highest being Jalen Press. I mean, Caleb Chapman with the one touchdown. Let me get your opinion. Do you think being a veteran quarterback, but not having veteran talent at wide receiver positions does affect a quarterback maybe early on? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt. And I think it kind of depends on the situation. As you said, you lose Jamon Osmond eight, eight days, you know, before your first game or whatever that probably put some doubt in your mind about, Hey, why is he doing this? I mean, what, what is going on here? And, and they came from the same high school and IMG, did they not? Uh, weren't they 
they, they were together. Yeah, they they were teammates yeah. back then. And so you would think that um, they may have a kinship there. And I wonder how much of that could affect somebody mentally. And maybe I'm overreaching. Uh, maybe it's not about that. But I can tell you, the best quarterbacks are usually the ones that have incredible mental makeup and, and have a good wherewithal about the game. And, you know, I just haven't seen that out of Kellen Mond yet. It doesn't mean he can't put it together. And I'm not trying to uh, insult anybody. I'm just saying I think the, the stats and the the – the proof is in the pudding here where we see that he ha- doesn't have a lot of big games, uh, big wins in his career. And um, it just, I just don't know why it's not happening for him because, you know, Jimbo Fisher has a history of, of doing good things with quarterbacks and it just hasn't come together for him. I don't understand it. And losing some of your main targets and losing some guys uh, on the offensive line that, that protects you, that may affect you a little bit mentally too. Fisher's worked with two number one quarterbacks in his past uh, who were both drafted with the number one overall pick. One ended up taking home the Heisman Trophy and Jameis Winston. So it's not like he does not understand what it means to work with quarterbacks. And, and, you know, when I was listening to Jimbo's press conference and I went back and I listened to some of the audio and he said that you can make, you know, 97% of your throws, but three mistakes ultimately cost you the game. Those three turnovers that Mon did have ultimately did lead to AM not only losing the spread, but nearly losing the game overall. And if it wasn't because of the defense who really stepped up for Mike Elko, especially in the secondary with guys like Damani Richardson and guys like Leon O'Neal, when you do have veterans in a secondary, but also some young talent, like a guy who is a five-star in Jalen Jones, does that still worry a guy like Alabama uh, who is facing off with a team, brand new quarterback, not new, but still adjusting to full-time life as the starter and still has that possibility in the background of Bryce Young coming in. Does that affect you at all knowing that if I miss one throw by an inch, there's two safeties deep back, there's one playing in the in the slot position, and there's a nickel corner who's fast as anything who can come up and make a defensive play and probably lead to a turnover? Yeah, I think it's – look, I'm always concerned about a and I mean, they've got talent. Um, I – AM's the one game to me in the SEC that I that I think Alabama fans probably still have a mutual respect for. The SEC's gotten so dirty uh and and oh man, contentious between everybody. But Alabama and AM do share a, a, a lot of similarities and they have a history. I mean, you think about Gene Stallings, his ties to AM. Uh you, you think about hey, Jalen Waddle came down to Alabama and AM. Bobby Brown, who I think is a starter on your defensive line, if not a starter, he's he's definitely in the rotation, came down to Alabama and AM. He surprised everybody. So yeah, I I, I enjoy AM. I'm always nervous about him. But yeah, you going back to the quarterback situation, do I think Mac Jones could be concerned about it? Sure. But, you know, Mac Jones has a real quiet confidence about him. He went to not IMG Academy, but he went to the bowl school, uh, which is uh, in Jacksonville. And it's it's known for putting out a lot of great football talent, too. He came from Kentucky, I think, originally. He was originally committed to Kentucky. Um, and he's faced a lot of obstacles in his path to get where he is as Alabama's starter. And I don't think he's going to let something like a talented A&M secondary or Bryce Young nipping at his heels or the calls for Bryce Young to take over that reign, uh, I don't think those things are going to bother him. I think the one thing to watch for, no matter what, before we break this down a little bit, is you do have two veteran quarterbacks in Mac Jones and in Kellen Mond, both playing well enough to get the win, 
but nothing that was accelerating like we saw from Kyle Trask at Florida. Nothing like we saw from KJ Costello at Mississippi State. I mean, set a brand new SEC record one game in. Congratulations. Welcome to the SEC, KJ. I knew that Mike Leach would do this, you son of a gun. Anyways, back <laughs> to the main point of the conversation. This is a prove-it game, I think, for both to say, one, I am your guy, and two, I'm going to make sure that our season is not going to waste. Because for AM, they have two back-to-back top five opponents in Alabama and Florida, and this could really tell more about AM than I think it does about Alabama moving forward. But we want to also break down some keys of the game on Alabama's side, on uh, AM's side. So don't go anywhere. We'll be talking about that in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies and Locked on Bama, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network, Cole Thompson and Luke Robinson here to break down everything you got to know before Saturday's kickoff at 2.30 as the SEC Game of the Week. You can catch that on CBS with, of course, Gary Danielson. So, Luke, let me get your opinion on this. What is the one thing that you would be watching out for if you're A&M? Oh, if I were AM, I'd be watching out for defensive pressure. Look, here's the one guy we can talk about Mac Jones all day. I think the guy that's under the biggest microscope at Alabama right now is Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator, because Alabama fans have it, or a majority of them have it in their minds that he's not go- not going to be the guy, that he's, he's just taking a lot of heat because they feel as though uh, the defense isn't playing up to their capabilities. Um, I think that he's going to bring a lot of pressure on Kellen Mond. You've you got a true freshman named Will Anderson who is remarkable. I mean, he is he's he's going to be a thing, man. He's he's going to be the next big defender at Alabama. Dylan Moses played with a lot of speed and reckless abandon on Saturday. Hope that he brings that back. And then Christian Harris, another guy that Alabama and A and M went toe to toe for. Uh, he is is fast as ever. He's got a lot of experience now. He was sort of a a lost puppy in the woods at times last year, but he seems to uh, have it all together right now, and I think he could have a big game too. So I think the biggest thing for A&M to look out for is defensive pressure. And I think for Alabama, the thing is to capitalize on turnovers. That may be a little cliche, but you have to think about this for a second. In the 29-23 game against Alabama, I was at that game. I was a student. I was a freshman at Alabama at the time. They did not commit a turnover. They instead watched in the past few seasons as they've had multiple turnovers in the game. I mean, multiple, multiple, multiple turnovers for AM. When you really think about it, they've they've struggled. Uh, I think there was two last year, the year before that. Uh, there was three in 2016. So there's been so many moments where it comes down to AM kind of shooting themselves in the foot for Alabama. They gotta, they're going to have to capitalize. That's just really it. For the fans at AM who maybe don't understand or know a player at, at, on the Crimson Tide, because there are a ton who just seem to pop out of nowhere as a you know mid-round talent and then go top 10 overall, who's the guy to watch for this upcoming week? Oh, well, you know, this, you want to talk about cliche. I mean, people, everybody seems to know who he is, but Najee Harris would be my pick. And this is a guy that he could, with a big year, end up being Alabama's all-time leading rusher. And that is kind of weird to say. Uh, Alabama's put a lot of uh, runners in the NFL lately, but then they've had guys like Sean Alexander and Bobby Humphrey uh, uh, throughout their history. And you think, how in the world is Najee Harris going to overtake those guys? Well, it's just Alabama's always been sort of a platoon running back school or uh, the guys don't get their real shot to be the man until they're a junior or senior and then they don't have enough time to set the record or they leave early. Um, Alabama's rushing records just aren't that 
phenomenal when you compare him to somebody like uh, Georgia or, or Auburn, who, of course, have the likes of Bo Jackson and Herschel Walker in the fold. But um, I think Najee Harris is is so such a nice kid, and he has uh, been pretty soft-spoken throughout his career at Alabama, but now he's really taken more of a leadership role and stepped up a lot. Um, just a really smart guy from California, probably a, a guy before Nick Saban, Alabama would have never had a shot to get, but he uh, came back to school. He could have easily gone pro. Everybody remembers that South Carolina game, but here's the thing about Najee Harris. I talk about his being the, having the ability to be Alabama's all-time leading rusher, right? His longest run at Alabama, I think, is 36 yards, but he averages about seven yards a carry. So what that means is, like, he really gets about seven yards a carry. This is not one of those Barry Sanders things where he runs, has two 90-yard runs and then 22-yard runs. No, he he essentially gets seven yards every time he touches it. And um, he's a lot of fun to watch, and I, I think he's poised for a big year. Uh, uh, just as a side note, looking over SEC stats today, I found it very interesting. You mentioned Isaiah Spiller leading the conference with 117 yards. I think he had uh, this past weekend. Najee is second with 98. Meanwhile, you look over on the other side passing, you, you had one guy over 600, one guy over 450, one guy over 350. Who would ever thunk it in the SEC, right? Exactly. I mean, and then you got to remember this. Derrick Henry was kind of lost in a pile behind the names of TJ Yeldon and Kenyon Drake. Junior year comes in, wins the Heisman, and has over 1,500 rushing yards. I mean, that's just kind of it. For Bama fans, if you don't know the name Jalen Weidemeyer, I would start penciling him in. This was the only weapon last year A&M and Kellen Mom were able to do against this Alabama defense. He had two touchdowns. He only had four catches, but two were four touchdowns. One was a 17-yarder. One was a 24-yarder. This past weekend, he only had two catches for 27 yards. Alabama still is a little bit weak at that linebacker position. I liked what I saw from Dylan Moses, but you got to make sure that that consistency coming back from the torn ACL is going to be there. You're going to have to win over the middle. I was not impressed that much with all the wide receivers. Again, they're all new. None of them really had more than four catches last year. So you have to know of what you know, and that is go to your go-to weapon in Jalen Weidemeyer. That would be the guy I would say, pencil on your page, Bama fans. Number 85 in College Station is probably going to be the one target that sees the most amount of reps this upcoming Saturday. Finally, what is the one key to win if you're Alabama? Well, they... I, Alabama's just I, – I don't get caught up in anything. And I just be yourself when you're Alabama. And, and again, boy, it's hard not to say cliche things when you're doing a podcast because, you know, don't have turnovers or capitalize on turnovers or whatever. You know, be sound in the kicking game. But I really believe that when it comes to Alabama, the, the if they just play their game, I feel good against anybody they play because of the usual talent disparity. Um and the the problem is when they do some really funky things. I don't want Alabama to do a lot of have a lot of tricks. I just want them to run the ball with Najee, get the ball to Jalen Waddle in open space, throw a couple of deep passes to Devontae Smith, mix in some John Mechie and some Brian Robinson, and let the defense handle its business. Alabama finally has a kicker that people feel confident about from Hoover, Alabama, and Will Reichert. Um, he was perfect last week. He got hurt last year, which really cost Alabama. But uh, hopefully if he can stay healthy and, and if Alabama just plays its game, I, I feel very strong that they'll get the victory this week. Will Reichert, again, it's a kicker that Alabama has always been cursed with. They finally seem to find the right guy. If you're a and I've said this before and I'll continue to say this, go with what you know, win the clock management.
you look at teams in the NFL, such as a team, I would say like the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield is not a great quarterback. He's a tier three quarterback. And maybe at this point, that's what we're seeing from Kellen Mond. But you do have two running backs. And Anaya Smith came out and said at the very beginning of the year, they would like to be the one-two combination in the SEC. They were the only team that rushed for over 100 yards. Yet another guy just outside the top 10 with 54. He scored a touchdown. Win the clock. Allow Kellen Mond to pass on third and short. Allow Kellen Mond to build a repertoire with these young receivers and maybe go deep every once in a while when you have a mismatch with a six foot five tight end. That is how you win the game. I cannot give my prediction on this side of things, but you can give your prediction, Luke, who you got one in this game. Well, and I'm glad you said said it the way you said, and I, I should expound on what I meant earlier about playing your game. And one of the things that's key to Alabama playing its game is getting the lead early because that sort of creates a sense of panic in the other squad. And I think that's what Alabama – if Alabama gets a 14 to nothing lead or something like that in the game, usually it's, it's, it's over. Um, there have been some comebacks against Alabama like that, but they're few and far between. Um, my prediction for this game, I, I boy – this is my first prediction of the week, but I will say 40 to 21 Alabama. Um, I know that may seem like a lot, but you know, Alabama in, in since 2012, Alabama has scored over 27 points every time they played. That's the fewest. And the second fewest is 33. So Alabama has a pretty rich history of scoring a lot of points in this contest. And uh, I think Alabama gets the victory this weekend. That's good for this edition of Locked on Aggies and Locked on Bama. Make sure you're following me on social media. And Luke, where do we follow you on social media? Uh, you can just at Locked on Bama or at LSRobinson21. Make sure you follow me at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. Subscribe to both Locked on Bama and Locked on Aggies on iTunes, Spotify. And if you can't do any of that, listen live every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. We're out. We will see you on Saturday for game day. Roll Tide. And gig them, y'all. This has been Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network.